Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, featuring players like all-star catcher Buster Posey. It's about, you know, just going out and, and trying to have passion for the game that I've loved since I was a kid. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Sun First Solar, known for delivering solar excellence since 1984 and recently voted best solar company in Marin County. We're also brought to you by TPC Harding Park, the only public golf course in San Francisco offering golfers the opportunity to play where the pros play. Coming up, we're going to talk to San Francisco Chronicle columnist John Shea, who is also the author of the book, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays. But first, I want to tell you about my favorite golf course, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. It was an awesome PGA Championship at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco, won by Colin Morikawa. We'll always remember the shot he hit on the 16th hole. And now the course is open to the public. And if you're a resident of San Francisco, visit TPC Harding Park and purchase your two-year resident card, giving you immediate savings on golf and other programs at the park. Cut your green fees in half by purchasing your card today. Visit www.tpc.com slash Harding Park for more information. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the Giants being in the playoff hunt. And think about it. With Major League Baseball getting close to the postseason, the NBA and the NHL in full swing of the postseason, we want to remind you that our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's get to the conversation with John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle. Well, John, we have a lot to talk about as far as the contending San Francisco Giants. But before we get to that, just wanted to touch again on your book, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, uh, written by yourself and Willie Mays. And uh, we talked about it at length on a previous podcast, which you can go back and and listen to that, actually, in our archives. Uh, But I did want to get some information about how it's doing. I know it's on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, so it has to be satisfying uh, to have that much success with the book. Oh, definitely. It, it's been quite a ride. Even during the pandemic, it's, uh, it, it's been doing quite well. You're right. It was 13th on the New York Times bestseller list, nonfiction. And for a whole bunch of weeks, it was number one on Amazon among baseball books and baseball biographies. And um, there's, you know, in the, in the Chronicle and the Marin Independent Journal and all the uh, Bay Area news group papers, they run on Sundays the top Bay Area independent sales and uh, Northern California independent sales. And, you know, it was ranked uh, quite well there as well. And obviously the key, Joe, is to uh, 
to ask Willie Mays to be your co-author, right? <laughs> right. I would think that he's pretty happy about it, too. And, you know, I, I don't know that he ever thought about having a book out there. So, uh, you know, I, I would think that he also has uh, a great feeling of, of success that's, uh, you know, coming your way with the book. Yeah. In fact, I just visited him the other day uh, in at, at, at his home. And, you know, he's doing well and obviously wishes there was some baseball to to go to instead of just watch and listen to. And, uh, yeah, he was really engaged throughout the entire process. And the, it was so wonderful because I spent, uh, what, more than a hundred hours with him, uh, for the project. And, uh, he just wanted to see it done right. And we were both kind of on the same page, making it, you know, maybe targeting a, a young adult audience, but, you know, kids and old timers who saw him, and anyone in between, we, we obviously knew that uh, there was a desire to, you know, catch his stories and life lessons. Um, you know, because he's Maze, and you know, there's only one Maze, and um, you know, so it has all new, you know, material and uh, all this photography for, from Brad Mangin and uh, uh, you know the copy editor uh, Kurt Aguilar who. You know, as a maze and baseball historian, just uh, these two guys really helped so much to to make it so unique. And uh, you know, we're pretty happy with how it how it turned out. And when when I hear from Willie's you know inner circle buddies who say, "Man, this is really sounding like Willie," it's it's almost like you're in the room listening to him tell these stories because you know they they know what it's like. So for me to you know, put it on paper and in book form, and to have that response from those people was quite gratifying. Yeah, it's a great book, John, and I recommend it to, uh, highly recommend it to every baseball fan. And, you know, just in the last week, we lost a couple of his fellow Hall of Famers and Tom Seaver and Lou Brock, and we'll be talking about them later. I, I want to get to the Giants, and uh, you just recently wrote a story here about the Giants having no Cal Ripkins on their team, another Hall of Famer, um, you know, and that anniversary came up of him breaking Lou Gehrig's record. And, and that really sums up the way the Giants play this year because it's a lot of platooning uh, and, you know, players have to step up. But you're not going to play every day if you're in this lineup. You're going you're gonna to have matchups, and you have to come through in those matchups. And it's been an interesting season so far with this team in the hunt where a lot of people did not predict that. Uh, so what have you thought overall just about the, the way the Giants have played this year? Yeah, you're right. Well, it's, they're doing better. I mean, they started uh, so terribly and sloppily that you would think that we wouldn't ever get to the point where we would be in September and we would be talking about the Giants as contenders. But it's only a one-month season, a two-month season, and all you really need is one good month. Um, you just just kind of hover around 500, and you're you could be in. You could have a losing record with 16 out of 30 teams make the playoffs, and with only a two month run, you just have to get hot for a little bit, a few weeks, and that's kind of what the Giants are now. Give or take a series against the A's, give or take a series against the Dodgers, but um, you know they're they've been they've been playing well overall, and suddenly you know their rotation is getting a little better giving the opportunity for the team to stay in it, you know, through the middle innings. And of course the bullpen, uh, uh, you know, more times than not has been lights out in the offense. Are you kidding me? What? <laughs> this we, you and I have never seen. I mean, I guess we got to go back to the early two thousands with bonds and Kent when they were scoring five plus runs a game, but 
now they're doing it with guys that, well, I mean, they're not Bonds and Kent. You know, they <laughs> might not be on the Hall of Fame ballot. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and here they are. They're, they're scoring a whole bunch of runs, and they're manufacturing runs, and they're hitting home runs, and, and they're scoring runs at a clip that nobody expected. And they've been leading the majors in hits. They've been top three in runs scored. And you're right. You mentioned Cal Ripken Jr. on the day of his, what, 25th anniversary of passing Lou Gehrig, what was it, 2,131 straight games. You know, Gabe Kapler rests three of his best players, uh, Belt, Crawford, and Dickerson. And three weeks left in the uh, season. And, it, you know, imagine that. Well, Cal, we're going to give you a rest today. A right-hander's throwing. And, <laughs> no, I mean, a lefty threw when, you know, they uh, Crawford has a little hamstring anyway. But Belt is their best hitter. And Dickerson, one of their hottest hitters. And both are on the bench when the game starts. But both those guys played and contributed to the cause. Belt with a pinch homer and Dickerson a sliding catch. And... I that's how they're doing it. They're just piecing together a, a big, bigger-than-normal roster and using everybody, definitely platoons, definitely matchups. And I guess the beauty of it is the older guys are buying in, uh, at least publicly. You know, Belt and Crawford and, you know, Longoria, saying he pays attention to the new wave uh, uh, hitting coaches who are using a bunch of video, a bunch of technology, uh, Talking about the strike zone approach, was which basically is don't swing at anything in the zone that you don't think you can crush, even though it might be a strike. Uh, you know, don't force the issue. Wait for a pitch that you can crush, and if you don't get one, you don't get one. But when it comes, you got to be ready. And you remember the old two strike approach: uh, choke up, go the other way, just put that on ball. Well, that, there's there, you don't see that anymore. It's it's just uh, it's just try to to drill the ball at all costs, no matter what the count. And, and that's kind of what they're doing. And the home run totals are up and the run scoring is up. And these older guys like Belt and Crawford and Longoria putting together much better years than a year ago. Yeah. And I mean, everything seems to be working in sort of an unorthodox way uh, from what we're used to watching, you know, not only with Bruce Bochy, but just in baseball overall, uh, you've got relievers coming in a lot earlier. Uh, they're being used like crazy, it seems. You know, you mentioned the, you know, some of those veteran guys, some of the better players in the team sitting against lefties. Uh, you know, sometimes it seems with Kapler that we're just shaking our heads saying, why is he doing this? But, you know, for the post, most part, it seems like it's working. You know, like you said, they're scoring a lot of runs. The ball's flying out of the ballpark. It seems like Oracle Park is playing differently now as well. Uh, you know, the wind uh, is not blowing in as much when they shut the archways. Uh, so it's a whole different ball game this year that everybody's trying to get used to, I guess. Yeah, and it's just they only played two exhibitions, both against the A's, instead of 30, instead of an entire month. They only had a couple of weeks of spring training, too. And it took two or three weeks before a starting pitcher even qualified for a win. You know, you have to go five innings. And, and you know, these starters were going three, four innings, and it took them a while for anyone to get to five. It took a while longer for anyone in the rotation to actually win a game. <laughs> and, uh, and, and now it seems that you have so many darn relievers and all these lefties and righties, and you have two different lineups, one against lefties, one against righties. And, um, 
you know, I mean, I, I I wouldn't say hey, it's it's working because they're still not at five hundred. They're twenty and twenty one as we speak. Yeah, and but but in this new world uh, new world order that that puts you right in, smack in the middle of the wild card hunt. I mean, let's forget about second place in San Diego. They beeped up at the deadline, and you know it's going to be one two Dodgers Padres, and then uh, you know in the central you have the Cardinals, you have the Cubs. The Cubs leaders, and then you know, in in the uh, in, in the East, you have you have the Braves, and the and the Phillies are in second. But I mean, you could count six teams. Say the say the Dodgers, Padres, Cubs, Cardinals, Braves, Phillies. If that stands, that's you know the top two in every division make the playoffs, and then plus two wild cards. Well, you could count six teams with three weeks to go who are right there for the wild card. I mean, in, in the Giants and the Rockies, of course, and uh, the Brewers and the Reds in the Central, and uh, even the Marlins and the Mets in the East. So that's that's six teams for two spots. And and the Giants are going to have to do a little better than uh, sub-500 to, to get there, I imagine. Um, you know, I don't think you can just back into this thing. You have to get on some kind of hot streak over these three weeks to to overcome the field and uh, are they capable yeah with that with that lineup or with that hitting you can't say lineup anymore because it's a different lineup every every game but with that offense i guess you know you could be down 4 to 1 in the third or fourth inning and still win last year you couldn't say that they couldn't overcome 4 to 1 but this team can and um, dickerson is healthy and uh, belt has tr- total trust in in the coaching staff and uh, Solano and Yastrzemski, you know, these guys kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, from day one, they've been leading the team. I mean, they carried the team in that first half, kept them within striking distance uh, offensively. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange thing to say that uh, we're in September and the Giants aren't, you know, 20 games out like they have been the last three years because of, of an offense that just uh, was stuck in first gear. Yeah, I mean, it's been years, really, like you said, since they've averaged five runs and even been able to come back from deficits. I mean, that is a big difference. I mean, the one area where I do shake my head a little bit, what you talked about uh, with Brandon Belt, you know, not playing on Sunday, here's a guy who's been red hot, and he does come off the bench, and it's a home run, so that helps. But, you know, sometimes it seems like with uh, Kapler, Gabe Kapler, he's, he's going to go with something that he's got on paper no matter what. He's married to it. And uh, I think a lot of times a manager has to go with his gut. Now, he maybe is kind of changing that a little bit during the year. You know, he stayed with Johnny Cueto, passed 100 pitches, and kind of tested his limit a little bit. Uh, So I don't know where he's headed, but with Gabe Kapler, it seems like for the most part, he wants to stick to the script. And I don't think baseball really has played that way. I could be wrong, but it just seems to me like, you know, that's something where he may have to make the adjustment. Well, especially, say, we're in October. And they're facing the lefty. Does that mean you rest all these hot hitting lefties? Yeah. I mean, these are must win games. But you know, I, I think he might manage a little differently then, because now it's not all about resting a lefty versus a lefty. It's also getting Belt off his feet for uh, you know a few innings to rest. And you know, I uh, wrote this uh, in today's Chronicle, but um, you know, it's not about playing every game like Ripken did. It's about being fresh every game. So Belt didn't start, 
but late in the game he enters as a pinch hitter and cranks one over the wall in right field and 3-2 now becomes 4-2 a little cushion with the lead helping the bullpen a little bit but that's what he meant that you know it, it's uh, it's just about keeping these guys fresh instead of you know um playing them into the ground which you would think would be impossible over only 60 games <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but still the shortened spring training uh the extra injuries you see you know, you, you in fact, uh, Austin Slater, one of the team's best hitters, he mentioned it uh, just recently, saying, you know, the shortened spring has caused aches and pains. You know, he's got an elbow, he's got a groin, and maybe uh, longer than a regular spring training, you know, this stuff wouldn't have happened. But you know, you're you're kind of in play mode uh, right away, uh, and less time to get ready. So. You know, some people are, uh, you know, need more time. And anyway, you know, especially starting pitchers. But it's, uh, you know, I, I was just asking Kapler about this, the urgency of managing. And he agreed that he does, you know, use uh, more of an urgency, more of an aggressive style now than he might have in the first third of the season. You know, for instance, uh, Sam Coonrod, who usually is geared toward the late innings with that 100-mile-per-hour uh, fastball. Well, just recently in consecutive games, he used them in the fifth inning for the first time, explaining that sometimes these games are won in the third or fourth or fifth or sixth inning, not always in the eighth or ninth. And, you know, the other day pulling Trevor Cahill in the third inning instead of letting him work through his problems, and he was coming off a hip issue anyway, and he went, uh, to the bullpen, and the bullpen saved the day and maintained the lead, and the Giants went on to win. But, you know, that's a, that's an example of managing with urgency and getting that guy out, if there's any doubt, and going to the bullpen. And whether, you know, I think it's seven or eight relievers later, they won the game. And uh, another example was, uh, you know, he was going to hit Pablo Sandoval in the ninth inning the other day, uh, in the opener of the Diamondback series when the Giants lost six to five and Crawford struck out to end the game. But Pablo was on deck and he was going to hit for Trump and Joey Bart had already played. So what does that mean? If, well, if they tied it, Pablo was going to be the catcher in the tenth <laughs> inning. That would have been good. I mean, that, that's, that's managing with urgency and, and where, where you just got to use Pablo thinking, well, if he gets an extra base hit, a uh, couple guys score, and then we win anyway. You don't have to worry about extras. Um, so it didn't happen. Crawford struck out. Pablo didn't hit, and they lost the game. Yeah, he came up as a catcher, so you know that could have been interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's one of those situations where you've got a short season, so maybe this works. You know, like what you're talking about, the sense of urgency, because it's a longer season. I don't know that 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 works over the long season. And honestly, John, I mean, I'd rather see a starter try to go six or seven. I'm I'm more old school that way. But uh, you know, now you've and and really throughout this short season, the Giants have had an issue with trying to figure out how to close a game. And, yeah, I mean, you could say that sometimes the game is settled in the fifth or sixth inning, but they just don't have a reliever that they can depend on to close the game. I mean, it started out where it was, okay, let's try Tyler Rogers. That didn't work. Trevor got 
that didn't work. Coonrod seems to have the arm for it. And I thought, oh, this, hmm. I even tweeted, I said, there's 101 reasons that Coonrod should be the closer. <laughs> well, because he throws 101, but then he's walking people. I mean, earlier I thought maybe Sean Anderson, and then that, that wasn't working. And it was elementary, my dear Watson, because Tony Watson came in and got it done. But I don't know that he's a closer, you know, with the kind of stuff he has. So it seems like an issue, John. I, I don't know. Are, are the Giants thinking that it's an issue, or can they get away with just uh, the closer by committee? I, I know Bruce. Bochy got away with that for a while, but he also had some great options there. When you're looking at an Affelt, Romo, uh, you know, after Brian Wilson, he was going with all different people. Uh, you know, every once in a while, he would go with uh, Javi Lopez. So he had all those options. I don't know that you have the same uh, type of options now. No, you, you really don't. And Bochy had those four experienced guys, or at least they became experienced uh, um, and, and uh, reliable um, the so-called core four, uh, uh, something that was stolen from the Yankees core four, you know, this is on a smaller level, but still very productive for three championships. And, and now they have, what they, like you said, Watson and, and got, but otherwise they don't have experience. Those four guys had all kinds of experience, including being playoff tested. But when you, when you have to rely on Tyler Rogers, who, was just an afterthought last year, um, and these other guys. Uh, you know, I guess Wandy Peralta has been around, but um, you know Sam Selman, uh, Harleen Garcia, um, you know Sam Coonrod, who throws 101, but got lit up in consecutive games and then came back and threw a perfect inning with a couple of strikeouts. So you. you <laughs> You 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 uh, you're gonna get the best and worst of guys because these guys are really untested in September baseball, um, and uh, uh, you know I guess I guess they they don't have a closer because they don't have a closer. Uh, they're not gonna name somebody. I mean, Gott, we saw he tried, and it failed miserably over the course of uh, a number of games, and and now you know he's slowly but surely working himself back up to high leverage situations. Um, you know, Caleb Bargar is like what five and one. He's got like uh, a fourth of the Giants' wins, uh, and and he's been really good lately. He's been um, putting out the fire, uh, you know, mid inning um, for Kapler, and so he's kind of a go to guy. But it's not like he's he's been uh, he's been finishing games. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, God has four saves and. And nobody else really has any, you know, uh, uh, you know, I guess the Rogers has three and that's it. You know, nobody, nobody else has more than one. So, uh, it's, it's, you know, they kind of hope for, uh, leads in the ninth inning that aren't, you know, one, two or three runs anyway. <laughs> and this offense has, has the ability to, uh, to put up crooked numbers at any moment. So that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. Their, their offense could, could uh, overcome any deficiencies with the defense or the pitching. So that's that's uh, that's where they're at right now. But if they do get to the postseason or even here down the stretch, I mean, you would think they're going to have to find somebody. And by the way, I failed to mention uh, Santiago Casillo was another one that Bruce Bochy could go to. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would think they've got to find somebody, and maybe it is Tony Watson just because he's the veteran guy you know, that you could trust to hand the ball to in the ninth inning if you have to win a game, if it's the last two or three games of the year, or let's say it is in the postseason, somebody's got to get those last three or last two outs or something. Well, he's the only guy that 
Kapler will reserve for the eighth or ninth inning. You just won't see him pitch middle innings like everybody else. So mm-hmm. everyone is interchangeable except for him, and they're going to keep him, you know, late, uh, you know, to face lefties or whatever. You know, it's a three batter minimum, but that that hasn't really cost them uh, as much as you you might think. Um, they really have held on to relievers who can get both lefties and righties out. That's that's uh, so important nowadays. But yeah, Watson is the one guy. Um, I and you know, even if they get to the playoffs, I, I, it, they're still not going to name a closer because I think Kapler thinks that will put a too much pressure on a guy and b um, you know, pigeonhole him into one role, and if they use him in another role, the questions will come. Well, I thought he was your closer, not your setup guy. Right. And so, I think uh, Farhan Zaidi and Gabe Kapler just love the flexibility and the ability not to give everybody roles, and that's true in the lineup and the bullpen. We'll have more with San Francisco Chronicle columnist John Shea right after this. Jones goes back, back near the wall, shading the sun, and he dropped it. He lost the ball in the sun. Let's put the sun to good use at home with a Sun Power residential solar system. Your Sun Power elite dealer, Sun First Solar, has a wide range of financing options, and they provide the finest customer service from start to finish, regardless of size or scope. Sun First Solar offers the highest efficiency systems, newest technology, and the best warranty in the world. Sun First Solar offers the most competitive price while not compromising on quality. This summer, let the sun heat your pool and eliminate your energy bill. Don't drop the ball. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. And get your Sun Power solar system today. All right, on Saturday, it was one of those days at Oracle Park where you really wish that there were fans in attendance. I mean, there are a lot of days like that, but this one you really, really were wishing that there were fans there because Madison Bumgarner was on the mound for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and that's strange in itself. And then, you know, you see him go out there, and he went four innings, gave up a couple of homers, overall pitched well. And honestly, John, I wanted to be the fly on the wall to hear what Tori Lavella was telling Bumgarner when he took him out. I mean, it looked civil, uh, you know, so it looked like it was okay. But, you know, I remember the story about Bruce Bochy saying something uh, – but how you know he was going to take Bumgarner out, and and Bumgarner said, "No, you can't do that." And you know, and and uh, I I should be pitching something like that. And Bochi said, "I know, I know." And Bumgarner said, "You ain't acting like you know." You know, so <laughs> so I wonder what he was thinking or what was said between him and Lavallo. And it, you know, it's just interesting to see him pitching against the Giants. Yeah, and I, a he was coming off a back issue, and b he had a pitch count, so. I think Bumgarner, according to what he said afterward to the reporters, he, he was fine with how it turned out, and it was a good start for him. Um, you know, the Diamondback season is lost. Uh, his season, you know, just didn't go anywhere through his first four starts when he gave up like what eighteen runs and uh, nine, uh, seventeen innings and yeah. four home runs in his previous start against the Padres. And he even mentioned that he probably shouldn't have pitched that fourth game against San Diego because he was feeling the back even then. So the rest and the rehab, and then now he's back, his first game back in San Francisco, uh, 
yeah, you. The, the only thing missing was the cheers and the fan response and the tip of the cap that you won't get until next year, and that's unfortunate. But you know, we're all going through this mess right now, and for a lot of these young giants, I think it is almost easier for them not to deal with the added pressure of playing in front of a big house. This is all kind of like scrimmage games or. Uh, amateur ball when they played in front of nobody and there was no pressure except the pressure you put on yourself to succeed that particular day and you know Bob Gardner doesn't care about big crowds booing him or cheering him and um, yeah yeah four innings couple home runs uh, you know and I, I think it's a start for him to, to get back to where he needs to be he had a tick or two higher on his velocity instead of 87 88 you know, he did hit 90. So uh, that's, I, I think he'll be motivated. It's a, what, five-year deal with Arizona. And uh, I, I'm sure he's, he'll be motivated uh, to do what he needs to do in the offseason to get back to being Bumgarner next year. So the Giants will face them a bunch of times. Fans will be able to see him a bunch of times because they're in the same division. And, um, you know, I think, I think with uh, Bumgarner, I was asking him on Zoom, and, you know, he he spoke about how it was, you know, really difficult, you know, to put all the emotions aside. He did, obviously, but coming back here and watching the Giants um, host the Diamondbacks, you know, the previous weekend, uh, or a couple of weekends earlier, I guess, um, you know, he, he, he thought about it. He thought about the time in San Francisco. He said, how could you not? You know, they're so glorious and and in the championships and the what he did in 2014 in the World Series MVP, putting the team on his back, that all was in his mind, you know, at least until he took the mound and then it was all baseball. But he did admit uh, the day before the start that uh, that he was thinking about that stuff. And then obviously once he got on the mound, there's no fans and he's just going after a lineup that mostly is new to him. He only faced Belt. He didn't face Crawford. He didn't face Sandoval, the other guys who played with him on the championship team of course Buster Posey opted out so Belt was the only guy he faced uh, who you know he shared championships with. We'll continue the conversation with John Shea from the San Francisco Chronicle in just a moment. We all know that solar systems make financial sense and environmental sense and when it comes to choosing the best installation crew in the business Sun First Solar should be your first choice. Sun First Solar has provided solar excellence since 1984 they are SunPower Elite Commercial and Elite Residential Installers with a reputation for technical excellence, innovative design, fair pricing, excellent customer service, and end-to-end quality and competence. SunFirst Solar is a family business devoted to treating their employees, customers, the community, and the environment with respect, and they are devoted to renewable energy and sustainability throughout the Bay Area. There is no roof or project that is too complicated. SunFirst has successfully installed solar on Spanish tile roofs, metal roofs, and very steep roofs. They also have extensive experience in solar ground mounts and solar pool heating. Competitive pricing, expert consultation, and the best warranty. Go local and get your SunPower solar system from SunFirst Solar today. Call SunFirst Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870.
You know, I mentioned earlier that over the last week we lost Tom Seaver and Lou Brock, and uh, you've got a, a connection there with the books that you've written. Uh, you wrote a book about Ricky Henderson, and uh, there was that connection that he had, of course, with Lou Brock uh, and the stolen base record. And Willie Mays with Tom Seaver, they were teammates on the 1973 Mets team that lost to the A's in the World Series. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. And I know you got to talk to Tom Seaver when you saw him at the Hall of Fame uh, not too long ago. Yeah, and uh, visiting Willie at his house the other day, we actually talked about Seaver because this was like the next day or two days after Tom died. And, you know, Seaver from Fresno uh, had the winery in Calistoga. And, um, you know, Willie's teammate in 72 and 73, of course, you know, Tom Seaver helped win a World Series title in 69 with the Mets, the Miracle Mets, and by 73, you know, now Willie's 41, 42, and they're in the World Series again, and, you know, Willie is more of a part-time player, Seaver's still in his prime, but Willie talked to me about how, you know, they used to sit in the dugout together and, and just talk baseball, talk life, and, you know, Seaver told me that not many position players would come up to him before a game and go over strategy, but Willie did. And, you know, Willie in the book talks about how he did that with Marshall, Gaylord Perry, and now he's doing it with Seaver and Seaver's kind of blown away because he never had that kind of like mentorship that, um, you know, from a position player before. So that was, that was pretty cool. And, you know, yeah. And then uh, obviously Lou Brock, um, yeah, so I, I I wrote in the early 90s, you know, with Ricky Henderson, his autobiography, Off-Base Con- Confessions of a Thief. And, you know, there are chapters in there about Lou Brock because Ricky broke Lou's uh, single-season record and Lou's career record. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and then obviously Brock was known for all the great work with the, the Cardinals. He played in three World Series and won two of them. And he was a great World Series Former, he hit what like 391 in the three World Series. Uh, you know, he was really the force along with Bob Gibson, Kurt Flood, and later Orlando Cepeda when the Giants, for some reason, traded him to St. Louis and and helped uh, beef up the Cardinals in '67. But I remember Lou telling me that uh, you know he, he he felt he was like a gunslinger in the in the old West. Um, you know, just kind of tormenting everybody. And and he, he had a great line about how first base really meant nothing to him. He had to be on second. He had to be in scoring position. So a single or a walk, that, that was nothing. I, I need to be at second. And, <laughs> you know, he didn't he didn't break Maury Wills' record of 104 steals until he was 35 years old. So... So you know that that uh, the greatest trade in Cardinals history, the worst in Cubs history, right. when, when the Cubs sent uh, Lou to uh, St. Louis, Ernie Broglio. But you know the the it's just it's just too bad, man. I mean these Hall of Famers. I mean these this is, these are our childhood legends, right? And and as it turns out, um, there's no pitcher that Lou Brock faced more than Tom Seaver. So he had more at-bats against uh, Seaver than any other pitcher. And likewise, Seaver faced Brock more than he faced any other batter. So they have a lot of stuff in common. And, you know, they they were teammates 
on All Star games. And Seifert Seifert tells a story about I think his first All Star game. And you know he walks into the clubhouse and Lou Brock says, "Hey kid, give me a coke," thinking he was a clubhouse guy. <laughs> He said, no, man, I'm on the team. He said, I'm Tom Seaver. How are you doing? Because he looked 15, you know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll share a quick story. Uh, and, and this goes back because uh, when I was growing up uh, at first in New Jersey, when I was seven years old and the Mets won the World Series in 1969, of course, I was a big Mets fan. And Tom Seaver was one of my childhood idols and had his poster on my wall and everything. And, you know, so you grow up that way. And then later on in life, I'm, I'm doing play-by-play for the Rochester Red Wings triple-A ball. And Tom Seaver is in town for some event. And so he comes uh, on the air with me. Uh, in Rochester, and uh, we're having a good time talking baseball. And then all of a sudden, he starts playing with the mixer, and he's turning the volume up and down, and then and then he's turning everything off like he completely took us, you know, off the air and put dead air, and then he you know what? put it back on. Yeah, he pressed the power button back on, and I'm going, what's going on? And I realized that he is really goofy. He he was a very he was a very funny guy. He liked to have fun, and you know I've read these stories about him, and you know yeah, that was my personal one that that uh, you know I, I I got to experience. Here's this Hall of Famer who I idolized and he's playing games with my mixer so that I, you know, I can't even talk on the air and he's looking at me for my reaction. He's just cracking up. It was, it was really funny. So Greg Maddox has a little Tom Seaver in him. Cause he was kind of the same way. I hope, I hope you got Seaver uh, to do a couple innings with you. <laughs> oh yeah. He was, he was on for, you know, two or three innings, but you know, oh, good. but, but he all of a sudden broke into that and we couldn't hear anything because he's playing around with the, the mixer. <laughs> a goofy. Yeah. He's, yeah, I'll never forget the time I spent with him at, at Cooperstown while, uh, you know, at the, at the Grand Hotel on the lake. Uh, all the Hall of Famers, their families are pretty much inside on the veranda. But a few of us took a walk on this huge lawn out in the back, and Seaver spotted us and came up to us. And for the next hour, you know, we were just we were talking. And at that point, I was asking him about Willie Mays. But mostly it was about wine and his love for wine, and uh, it didn't, it didn't, you know, wasn't just the baseball talk. And uh, you know, he just, he, he, in fact, I still have a bottle of GTS Cab from '07 that uh, that I'm holding on to for a special occasion. But uh, it, it's it's great stuff. It's pretty expensive stuff, but um, he's so proud of it, man. He was so proud of that, and. And that's why he, you know, moved up there. You know, he's a Fresno kid anyway. And Willie Mays told me about how when the Giants played exhibitions sometimes down there, um, Seaver told him later that, that he went out and saw him. And, you know, years later, you know, they're teammates in New York. So it's a pretty cool circle. Yeah, and I remember hearing him talk about the challenge of facing Mays and McCovey. That, that was always uh, a big challenge for Tom Seaver, because, you know, in those days, it was tough to navigate your way through a lineup with the, both Willies. Yeah, and that was really, I, I don't know if there'll be another generation where you have so many great pitchers, you know, in the 60s and into the 70s, you know, with, with Seaver and, of course, with the Dodgers and Koufax and Drysdale and, and Gibson and San Francisco, you have, you know, Marshall and Perry and on and on and on. And, you know, you go to the Cubs and Fer- Fergie Jenkins, and you know Nolan Ryan was just coming up, and and it, it, it was it was just a wonderful time for for pitching because um, it isn't like it is now with the thirty teams. You know, when Willie was playing, you know there was what twelve teams, and 
you know, then expansion, 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 and then you get up to, to the 20s and eventually 30. So it's pretty diluted, the pitching. And, you know, maybe that's why you see seven, eight pitchers a game instead of one. Um, but yeah, those Cardinals were, were fun to watch and they were so aggressive. Uh, they were just anti-American league. You know, they, uh, in St. Louis, they always seem to have, uh, great speed and they did things a different way. And that was, you know, a big reason was, was Lou Brock leaving that great offense. Yeah, it's tough to lose those guys. Well, John, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Continued success with the book. I'm, I'm really happy for you. And uh, we will talk again down the road. Enjoy the rest of the, the baseball season, the, the short season as it is. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. Well, thanks, Joe. Uh, hope to see you at the ballpark soon, man, when, when, uh, when all this uh, craziness is over and we can in, in enjoy a ball game together. I, as it is, I go every home game now wearing a mask 10, 15, 20 feet from the next guy. And it's just a pretty wacky way to cover a game on Zoom, pregame and postgame, but, you know, we all adjust. That's San Francisco Chronicle columnist John Shea. Join us again next week for another edition of Inside China Basin on the Believe Podcast Network. For now, I'm Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.